coming to you live, but not really. It is all pomp and no circumstance with Ryder Richards on LetUsThinkAboutIt.com, the amateur hour you should never tune into. Hello, welcome back. This is Ryder Richards with Let Us Think About It. Now, the last two episodes were on camouflage, and before that, we had some on mimetic desires, sacrifice, scapegoating. We even talked about simulation and dissimulation with Benjamin Bratton, uh, the costume, all these kind of things. But overall, the last maybe dozen steps, dozen episodes, started with what I will call the contradictory injunction. This is where double binds or the catch-22 becomes the primary way we engage in the world, maybe even the double blackmail. Now, this is obviously didactic and binary, and it's frustrating to keep hearing about this. It's quite easy to dismiss as simplistic or redundant or something else like that, yet it always persists. And that in itself is worth considering because our exploration currently is to actually kind of expose and consider this binary trap, right? And yet it leads us to only talking about binaries, which only empowers them more. Now, hopefully, once we're aware of the systemic operations of the binary, which are, of course, highly related to our human tendency towards sort of a reductionist personal impulses and biases, we're going to actually be able to recognize them in their moment, in the state they are in. And then we can better decide how to handle their participatory draw. That is their lure and our response to it. So both individually and socially, the binary, it tends to atomize us. It fragments us. It turns us into this, I don't know, cogs in a closed system, perhaps even cybernetically so. Now, there is an undeniable attraction here, especially in things like cyberpunk to the machinic life. The accelerationists and futurists talk about this. This is kind of the death drive of determinism. And what happens is that around machines all the time, machines seem to make more sense to us. It seems to be a simpler kind of causal mappable life. And this is a release from the anxiety of decision making, oh, the anxiety of being human that we all face, this kind of crippling fears, right? Machines don't have these. Now, of course, here's what happens too, is we get into this idea of the binary, and it's natural to think in defensive terms of rejecting the binary. I say no to your closed-loop logics. <laughs> Watch me not play your games. <laughs> which means we're just outside of the game, which is another binary. And as, of course, as Alan Watts reminds us not to play, to withdraw completely... Yeah, well, that's also to exit society and culture and your friends. And this only creates for us as social creatures another set of problems. We should also consider the binary of defensive, right? Which tends to be the idea of offensive. But if we reject the binary, maybe we can go instead with this idea of the stability aspect of somehow just accepting the binary injunction or this pseudo-imminent contradiction without the need to actually break it. Like, what if you can just sit in the discomfort of the binary, being pulled both directions and somehow not siding with either and being okay with it? Ah, that sounds weird, right? That seems like you're honestly trying to transcend the binary while still giving value to each side. 
So here's another question. How do we maintain social institutions, cohesions, and even community? As far as that goes, how do we maintain the self without this kind of binary trend that tends to encroach upon us, promoting the hyperbolic and prompting estrangement? Now, to me, the binary feels in this point like a distancing, like a splitting. It's really a distinct distancing from the other. We set up and choose one side so we can get distance from the other and we can define ourselves in this way. And yet, as we discussed in step 65, which was called the shape of opposition. Well, this oppositional shape, this antagonism, this binary distinction actually binds us together rather than separating us. <laughs> it does the opposite. So by attempting distance, we create a kind of claustrophobic entrapment, being bound, struggling, and debilitated or enfeebled by the battle. And, and you may say you're getting stronger in this battle, but in what way and to what end? to only really become the opposite, and we'll talk about that in a second. Unfortunately, the system we're in, the society or the state, it cybernetically absorbs our self-destructive thrashings, our moving about, our anxieties, our precarity, it actually feeds on it. Now, a capitalist system surprisingly capitalizes on our stress. Now, you could say that this kind of stress is like being in a competition where it's you and somebody else running on treadmills and you're being chased by maybe Boston Dynamic dogs. <laughs> you know, I don't know. And maybe Cyberdyne's waiting in the wings to rebuild your chewed up corpse as they merge with Skynet and you just keep running faster and faster. And well, this is a bad simile. Okay, it's not going anywhere, but you get the point. Um, now, perhaps, as discussed previously, our revolt. Yeah, it's not the cybernetic positive energy we think it is. Positive energy in a cybernetic system spins out of control and it breaks the system. But the idea is that our anxious revolt is a type of fuel. For example, at your job, the bureaucratic nightmare that actually drives you berserk. What if that only leads to a new initiative, a committee to solve for the excessive amount of committees, oxymoronically? <laughs> Enlarging the contradiction, of course. Now, I know here, like the last two episodes, I have promised some sort of episode on the state of architecture is theater and blah, blah, blah. And I keep dodging it <laughs> because I keep get caught, getting caught up in this stuff. But I think this little episode here and the next one might be a nice way to wrap up how the visual tactics... Even things like camouflage bleed into the symbolic, detaching from the real. Once again, we're in a simulacra here. But in turn, how all this shapes our reality and how we need to be aware of that. Now, we will start out with some symbolic talk about America and political symbolic winning and signaling. And I know some of you are just going to turn off right now because you're done with this. But if you can get past that, we're going to move into the Wild West. And there is where... Our I'm going to stop because I actually split this episode into two parts, right? So this is step 74. We're going to get also into step 75. And that one makes a very, very hard turn into symbols as a source of mystery that determines subjectivity or your being that is chasing the unknown. Now, of course, today we're going to discuss symbols that are real and yet abstract, ephemeral ideas, and yet we need them somehow to realize our goals to become and defend. And yet, of course, they're dangerous. So, uh, yeah. On with the show. Part one into the symbolic. Michael Cuenco and Peter Thiel, in different articles, both say that post World War II America was making stuff. 
They were making physical and technological changes that were astounding. Yes, and we started to actually become optimists. But somewhere along the way, we traded our goals, optimistic, realistic goals in the real world for financial security. And somewhere along the way, we got into finances and we didn't make things anymore. Instead, we relied on the market. Our risk moved from reality into an abstraction. Cuenco says, about this time, the late 70s and early 80s, politics shifted from material concerns, where even the most ridiculous-seeming political challenger would actually show up with an economic plan for real change. Yeah, this is wild to think about now. Every political candidate having a plan for real change. This was a real politique agenda, and one could actually sit down and interrogate it, right? Politics was actually a way to make structural systemic changes to actually better the citizens and nation. And politicians were very harshly judged on the feasibility and virtues of their plans and their ability to execute them. Wow, this sounds wild, right? But let's be honest here. It's actually much harder to win on intelligent foresight than the way people are winning today. So to bypass the merits of the argument, the left began kind of indicating that they represent the progressive moral virtue. Now, this argument is not about feasibility, but what kind of person you are. To which the right quickly responded, of course, by jumping into the same game. And they actually ended up claiming, we have the superior virtue. Now, what this means is that with our material conditions mostly satisfied, being one of the most prosperous and powerful countries in the world at the time, we moved into virtue signaling to win elections. Now, on top of losing reality to virtue signaling, the politician elected, often they just kind of bypass or <clears throat> ignore meaningful action on the very platforms to their constituents and representatives that got them elected. For instance, Trump had a chance to pass immigration verification for jobs, and yet he didn't do it. And if you think about it, this would have done much more than a wall to halt immigration. But what this tells us, his action or inaction in this case, says that he only used immigration as a rallying point to get into office. He never actually cared about immigration or keeping his promises. The goal is to win which requires wielding the right symbols as tools and then discarding them. Part 2. The reversal. Winning is losing. David French on the Making Sense podcast, he discusses the problems of grievance and an ends-means politics. Hmm. You remove considerations of character to ensure immediate victory. Trump was considered by many Christians to be really quite foul, right? But he was this kind of necessary evil versus the demonic portrayal of Hillary Clinton, right? Trump was actually proclaimed an anointed tool by the Christian right for God's will. This is a special holy weapon that is sanctioned. Right? This is a tremendous compromise that you need to have to achieve victory. And yet, it really kind of fed into a toxic symbiosis using Trump's amorality to lash out at the liberal left. The attack was exactly what the right wanted, a retaliation for perceived and, and, and actually real grievances against the elitist globalized left. Now, 
getting the win here is much more important than maintaining dignity. Or more accurately, we have now redefined dignity. We have reversed the order where once having dignity or honor was the win. Now your win gives you dignity? This is strange. Now, Albert Camus says the very idea of winning dignity is absurd, and he's right. We are, you know, similar to Janae's play we talked about earlier, acting amongst actors. We're following ridiculous scripts in morality plays, and yet, bafflingly, we must continue to act. Part three, reputation, the symbol of honor. Now, if we're going back to what we talked about at the beginning, which was material conditions that were high enough that we didn't need to really worry about things anymore and we moved into the symbolic, well, let's also think about how the symbolic act can function in reality to actually uphold material conditions. Um, So to do this, let's consider the Wild West rancher, somebody in the South maybe. Now, in Richard Nisbet's 1996 book, Culture of Honor, This is actually called reputational honor. So when the rancher, who has his cattle rustled, yeah, I mean, he has to make a choice here, right? He can realize that it's quite inefficient and dangerous, a a bad gambit to track down the rustlers. This is a bad cost-benefit analysis. And yet, in not extracting justice, he opens himself up to future theft. He's seen as soft and thus an easy target for future rustling. Now, on the other hand, the rancher who says, it's the principle of the thing, and he stakes his life on it. Maybe he uh, tracks the rustler down for three months and he kills him. I don't know. Maybe he gets crazy. Maybe he eats his liver. I don't know. I wasn't there, right? But I sure do bet he was hungry after three months of tracking somebody. But anyway, any slight to this rancher, to his you know, reputation, any grievance against him, yeah, he considers it an amplified attack on his livelihood, his material conditions, and he goes to war for it, and a tribal war can ensue, and this doesn't make sense to anybody. Yet, this excessive reaction actually makes sense by setting a precedent of insanity or irrationality. This is actually protection through overreaction. The problem here is that everybody has a grievance if you dig back far enough, which means everyone's reputation was at some point besmirched and needs defending and a current propping up. Your symbol, that is your reputation, uh, once it becomes winning, yeah, that's necessarily going to create losers. And of course, if there's no space here for forgiveness because everyone has to be a winner, Well, then what is our means of reconciliation? I I mean, if there's no space left, if there's no other option, where do we go from here? Part four, going native, the reversal. Now, as mentioned, if there is no forgiveness, if there's only winning... Yeah, you're pretty much left virulently spreading your symbolic reputation in everyone's face. Oh, yeah. Smell that reputation? Mm, It smells like liver. Mm -hmm. Well, 
In that case, we establish a binary again, right? Winners and losers, at odds, circling and fighting, right? We all understand this. Now, the problem is, though, how do you escape this? Well, if there's no mechanism for rehabilitation here, for forgiveness, we're only left with kind of transferal or flipping and the stagnation of embittered death, (laughs) which is a path a lot of people take, but it doesn't sound very fun. Um, Now, as we have discussed in step 65, the interesting and kind of often unseen aspect of antagonistic opposition is that by distinguishing yourself as different from the other and trying to create a distance between each other, you unfathomably, right, bind yourself to them. And this is because you are judging every step you make off of the steps they make. So the attempt to go to an extreme distance actually forces the other to extremes. You keep distancing each other. And oddly, all you can think about is the battle and your differences, the more, quote, different you become, which really turns everything into a deadlock dance. It's you dip, I dip, we dip. Now, for the sake of continuity, Let's just stick with this metaphor and say that our reputational rancher, maybe uh, it's not dipping, maybe it's two-stepping here. After fighting these Native Americans for years, he develops a very deep respect for them. Hmm, interesting. It's the only people he's around over a while he becomes starts to relate to them. Now, over time, he flips his allegiance from our civilization to theirs. He has gone native, as the saying is. And what this means is you become what you fight. You become what you're around, what you fixate on. Now, recently, hyperbolically, it was actually pointed out to me that our nation, after lots of fights in the Middle East, has a very patriotic contingent that ends up with a very similar value system to the Taliban. I know, I know, right? This seems blasphemous. And of course, the point of the last few episodes is to see exactly, though, How we grasp and use models that are available to us blindly, unknowingly. And what happens here is our proximity to an idea, even if we hate it, once we understand it, we tend to model it. And we have this mimetic urge to actually dissimulate our thoughts into the real. And this is, as Benjamin Bratton says, to produce the image form in our head. This is kind of a simulation, and we plan everything out, and we can't help but turn it into the real thing to dissimulate it so we can see it or be it. So if we think about it, as a nation, we went from a time period, as stated in the beginning, of real production. This is real things. Having, of course, a lot of power and having our material needs met. And then we moved into producing the real. That is... A different thing, right? This is actually an economy, an abstract economy based on messaging and producing abstraction. And we use perception now to shape the real world, not objects. And yet, of course, we're left now recreating our world from sort of Baudrillard's third order floating simulacrum and signifiers, right? This is production without purpose. I mean, of course, the purpose is to keep people in power. This is chasing the wind to gain dignity, which in turn, produces retroactively the character you wanted. And let's just pause for a minute because this is so crazy. If you actually had dignity, you wouldn't need the win or you would already have the win. And yet now we produce the win to get the dignity. It's totally flipped. So what we're talking about here is that the symbolic comes from a system. It at some point is very useful. It is of the system. But 
it is not always smoothly functional. And this is because by its nature, the symbolic is a faulty translation. And over time, it becomes a thing divorced from its source. This amalgam, it really fails when relied upon to utterly transpose. Now, of course, this is because the symbolic is an idea. It is not flesh. It can really, it can transcend. It can become transcendental. It is transorbital. And of course, we, we're still left here as flesh in reality. Now, of course, reality and symbols, we know this, right? We're not silly. We know that they affect each other. And symbols can also become an affectation, right? A type of camouflage, as we've talked about before. This is a survival strategy we apply. The costume we don, or as we're going to look at next, perhaps this costume is applied to us. Now, here is the point of the last few minutes, which I'm sorry, I could go on and on about this kind of stuff. But symbols are dangerous because they fluctuate. They are slippery, slip and slides. And yet, they're also very necessary to coordinate and move a civilization, a culture, or an individual. Now, next time, we're actually going to get into that. We're going to talk about how the symbolic provokes mystery and the unknowable drives us and creates us as individuals. And oddly enough, this alignment of mystery produces unity. Now, this is in large part due to sacrifice and scapegoating, which we all think are bad things. <laughs> but what's weird about it is we become joined by relating to pain. Okay, thank you very much for tuning in. I split this one into two episodes because the next one is a real doozy and a bit of a teaser alert here but you know part of it is i just couldn't put you through another 15 minutes of dense being and becoming right and this is idea of becoming through the gap the binary gap producing the space inside yourself which allows the means of identification and how that pursuit allows unity it's kind of a fun idea when you start digging into it now the premise of this step is of course a foundation for the next step that is the danger of the symbol that is mistaken or reversed, that's what we're talking about today. This idea of chasing the wind to find dignity as a reversal. And of course, we've also been talking about, you know, sort of following the principle of the thing, right? <laughs> and how, how this um, sort of symbolic thing has real world results that can actually defend you. Now, of course, people can also don this symbol of defense, this following the principle of the thing and being violent, they can don that symbol as an affectation. And what this could look like is the robes of power being a tough guy. And yet there's also this reversal to that, which is that you can wear the tatters of the victim and you can don those as a robe too. So you can become parasite or prey all by donning these symbols that other people wear legitimately. So we know this and you can just hear me rambling here but anyway thanks for tuning in i have uh, on the website now dropped the ability to donate on my site so instead of money just please consider liking sharing and uh, doing that kind of thing with the show now thanks again this is writer richards from let us think about it signing off and perhaps this week try to live a little less symbolically